Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I hope you've had a good week. I know for some it's been a <clears throat> difficult week. And um, the flowers this morning are in honor of the life of Johnny Crouch. And I have the great privilege of being a part of his funeral service on Friday. And, and I often do and, and reflect uh, as I stare at different funerals and so on, just to, and I shared it at Johnny's funeral, just the, the brevity of life, how short it really is. Johnny is 72 years old. Some of you are saying, boy, 72, I'd like to be 72 again. Some of you are saying, 72, my goodness, that's a long way off. But 72 short years. I had a grandfather that died at 67, and I, I reflected then several years ago how short that really is. Just quickly here and then gone, and it often makes me think of, of how many of the funerals that I do, I, I wonder, and certainly not specifically with Johnny, but just in general, I, I wonder how many folks whose funerals that I've been a part of or attended or known about or whatever were people who looked back on their lives and, and saw a lot of waste, a lot of time wasted, a lot of energy wasted, a lot of relationships wasted. I was joking with someone the other day that my funerals are starting to catch up with my weddings. And so I've scheduled several weddings in the coming weeks. I've got three this summer, and next, next year I actually have two on the same day, which will be interesting. And so I'm sure I have stories to tell about that. But I do reflect when I do a funeral. I wonder how much this person would like to have back. How many opportunities were missed? How much time was wasted? Did this person's life, in their own estimation, and more importantly in God's estimation, did their life really matter? And I don't mean were they famous, were they rich, did they know a lot of people. That really has nothing to do with it. But did their life really make any eternal difference for the Lord himself and in the lives of others? And at some funerals, I can with confidence say, because I knew the person maybe very well, yes, absolutely, I know the impact on that they made. At other funerals, and maybe not know them as well, I, I just don't know. I wonder how many folks, even here today, will, will one day have someone perform your funeral and wonder, did you waste your life? Did it really matter? I think back over the various stages of my short life so far, I'm 33, and so I haven't had a lot of life experience, but I look at my life to this point, the different stages, and I look maybe through my teenage years and then college years, and then since then I've been married now for 11 and a half years, and we have four children, and just every stage of life, and certainly many of you that are, that are older than I am, you can understand, you look back and you have more stages of life to compare, and those who are younger, you may have a smaller sampling, but we all stand on level ground, and we can all evaluate this morning, how have I done in each stage of life? You know, when I was in high school, did I waste that opportunity for the Lord? Or did I fully take advantage of living for Him in such a way that as best I could in that time frame, I made a difference for Him? Through college, playing baseball at Murray State, I, I wondered if those guys on the team receive any of Jesus from me. And then since then, teaching high school and coaching baseball for four years and now being in ministry for seven and a half years, has my life really, really mattered? Or has I wasted a while? I, I reflect on those things, and, and I would imagine that at certain times you do too. If I'm not careful, if I'm not intentional, 
if you are not careful, not intentional, no matter what stage of life you're in, I will easily drift and simply waste it. You will easily just drift through life and waste it. I think you would agree with that. I don't want to come this morning and put us on a, on a downer, but I do want us to seriously consider how we are spending the life that we have been given. Scripture is full of characters who, who show us how not to waste our lives. So we've been looking at some of those, and, and this morning we're going to begin looking at the life of Moses. We're going to take three weeks and just give a very satellite view of the life of Moses. Three different elements, events that took place in his life. We're actually we're going to look this morning at, at the call that he, that he experienced from the Lord, the, the story of the burning bush. Maybe you've heard that one before, or at least know about it. And the next week, we're going to look at the, 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 the event that took place right at the Red Sea, when God parted the Red Sea. What were some of the things going on? And then two weeks from now, we're going to look at the death of Moses. So we get kind of a, a, a beginning shot to an extent, somewhere in the middle, and then toward the end. And he's a guy that, though he was not perfect, and though he has his flaws, just like us, he showed us, I think, really, in a general way, how not to waste our lives. So this morning, uh, I, I dare you, in all honesty, I dare you to pay attention, not to me, but to what God has to say. Because I, I really believe that based upon the story of Moses and his life and what God did through him, that God has a word for us today, not because of some unique angle of study that I came across this week, I'm not that smart. Because it is God's Word, and I believe that even for 2011, He has something to say to us through an ancient passage of Scripture, through a guy we know basically as a legend, as, as a figure from the Old Testament that none of us obviously have had any personal dealings with. So I dare you this morning to open your heart to God. To just say, you know what, Lord, I don't know what you're about to say to me, but whatever it is, the answer is yes. You realize that in order to find God's will for your life, the answer before you find it must be yes. It's not, God, you show me your will and I'll do it. The answer is, God, yes, I'll do it. Now, whenever you feel like doing it, you show me what it is. You realize the difference there. So I dare you this morning, go think. Listen to what God is going to say to you. And respond to Him with a simple yes. So as we begin, I'd like to pray for us. I'd like to pray for our hearts. That God would speak to us. Join me in prayer. Lord, we really do need to hear from you this morning. We don't need to hear from the preacher. We need to hear directly from you. So, God, I pray that, that we would take the dare from you to open our hearts, to say yes to you this morning for whatever it is that you've called us to do in response to the scripture we'll see, to become and continue to be a church that is on a mission from God. To be individuals and, and people and families that will receive that mission and do all we can to avoid wasting our lives, but to spend them as an investment for your glory and your kingdom. So God challenges and open our hearts and change us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is one of those guys that, if I mention his name, probably a variety of things come to mind, depending upon your age. For some who are in a little bit more experienced generation, you, you probably think of Charlton Heston and the, the old movie, The Ten Commandments, and, and the incredible technicolor picture that they had at that time. Not quite HD, but they were working on it, you know? And so, and there he stands next to the Red Sea, parted on both sides, and the wind blowing through his hair, and this majestic moment, and all the Israelites pass through. Maybe that's what you, you think of. Moses, to you, is Charlton Heston. You know? And that's okay. That's okay. 
for others who are maybe not, not familiar with that movie, but you grew up on Disney movies and so on, you may think of the movie The Prince of Egypt. And here's an animated film about Moses, and he's got this tan body and this incredible hair, which I envy. And, and he, you know, I wish Disney could, could draw me. You know, I'd, I'd be in much better shape and I'd have hair. So, and he's riding his chariot, you know, and racing around. And, and maybe that's what you think of, of Moses. I, you know, personally, when I think of Moses in an odd way, and I think and reflect on the story of, of God's call and putting him on mission, Honestly, what comes to my mind is, is a, a completely different movie that may catch you off guard. It's the Blues Brothers. I think of, I think of, of the, now I seem prepared this way. I, I think of, I think of the Blues Brothers. Now, for some of you, the Blues Brothers is a time in your life you just can forget. I understand that. But you know, they, 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 here they are in their dark suits and sunglasses, and they, you know, it's 600 miles to Chicago, it's dark, and they're wearing sunglasses, and there they go, you know. But you know, throughout the whole movie, what, what do they say? When, they, when somebody asks them, well, why are you doing this? What do they say? What a mission from God. I mean, just over and over. Yeah, isn't it great? You know, and, and, and granted, you don't want to take your theological knowledge from the Blues Brothers, but you understand what I mean. And now, now, we're not going to dance around the church this morning, and I'm not going to do flips, and James Brown is not going to come in and sing for us. Unfortunately, I can't do all of that. I'd like to be able to get up tomorrow. So, but I do want you to consider the fact that that, that simple one in the blues book, we're all missing from God. Anyway, is it, is it kind of a line in an old movie that was funny at the time? I really, really, really believe that from the life of Moses, Silly as it sounds, and as goofy as I'm sure I look, standing in Sunday. You were waiting for that opportunity, and you didn't even know to sit down front to do it this morning. I like that. As silly as it sounds, I really believe we can take that simple truth and apply it to our lives. And I want to show you this morning from the scripture how I honestly believe that we are on a mission from God. If you got your Bible handy, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Now, I want to quickly look this morning at, at the background information. So we're going to read some, some verses this morning in Exodus 1 and Exodus 2 that set the scene for the story that, that Moses encounters here in, in chapter 3. So look with me in chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. Now, again, the background story of this is the previous chapters in Genesis where Joseph rose to power, saved the country from famine, and he became, you know, becomes the second in command and so on, and he's very influential, and the Israelites enjoy favor, uh, and then Joseph dies, and so we have this period of time where the Israelites are growing in number, and a new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and as war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So there's some fear on the part of the Pharaoh. He's afraid that these, these, these numerous Israelites are going to rise up against him, figure out that they've got more numbers than he does, and overthrow them. So, verse 11. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters masters over the Israelites to oppress them with poor slavery, put them in slavery. They built certain cities for Pharaoh, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied, and so spread uh, the Egyptians uh, that they came to, to dread the Israelites. So obviously... Uh, an interesting uh, scenario. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. 
They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of whom was named Shiphrah, uh, and the other Kua, help the, the Hebrew women give birth. When you do, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, she may live. So you understand, the, the Egyptians are making it very difficult on Israel. There's lots of them. Let's put them into slavery. Let's kill their firstborn children, their male, male kids, and, and see what happens. The, the Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. Take boldness to serve the Lord. You realize that? It's courage. It's boldness. Sometimes it takes going in the face of the authorities in your life that would say, do not live this way. And if you do live this way for the Lord, some bad things are going to happen. You realize they could face death. I love it. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt sent to the midwives and asked them, why have you done this to let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women in this great, for they were vigorous. And they give birth before midwives can get to them. They just pop them out real quick. All of a sudden, listen, it's not, it's not these hours and hours of labor. Boy, I can't even get there, you know. 911 call, I'm on my way, but I can't get there. So God was good to the midwives. Hmm. And the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile. But let every daughter live. Difficult lives he's produced in here for the Israelites. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw the son was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Maybe you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe in the river. Here's the baby, goes over, recognizes it as one of the Hebrew children. Moses' big sister, standing right there, says, Hey, I know someone who can take care of the baby for you. And Pharaoh's daughter says, Well, you, you go get that person. I'd like to make this child my son, but in the meantime, I'll pay that woman to raise him and nurse him for me. And guess who she goes to get? The mother of Moses. What an incredible story. Not only did she get to be with her son, and she feared would be killed, but now she gets paid to do it. How about that, parents? Wow. What if you got paid to be a parent? Boy, that means we'd all be rich, wouldn't we? My goodness, you can't place the value on what she got to do, but she got to be paid to be the mother of her own child. Years later, it says that Moses had grown up, he went out to his people in verse 11 of chapter 2. Observe their forced labor. So he grows up in the house of Pharaoh, and he becomes one of the, the masters. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking all around, he saw no one, and struck the Egyptian dead, and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you leader and judge over us? The man replied. Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, What I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. That's his grandfather. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Imagine Moses this time. He's trying to do something to make his life count. He sees a Hebrew getting beaten by an Egyptian. His own people, and you can imagine his heart goes out to him. And so he does something about it and kills the Egyptian master. Buries him in the sand, but obviously didn't do a very good job of that because it gets found out. Toes sticking out of the sand. Something, I don't know what happened, but he finds out. 
Pharaoh's out to get him. Moses flees, and he goes to the land of Midian and sits down by a well. What a lonely moment I'm sure that was for him. Staring down into that well, reflecting on the previous 40 years of his life, and wondering, why in the world am I here? And what happened? And why have I done what I've done? I just wanted to help. I just wanted to do something that would help my people. And obviously, he winds up sitting there in a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters, verse 16. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Reuel, he asked, Why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. How then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave his daughters a fourth to Moses and Mary. He gave birth to his son, whom he named Gershom, for he said, I have become a stranger in a foreign land. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help ascended to God because of the difficult labor. So God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. And that's where we pick up the story. Moses at this point is about 80 years old. He spent 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's court, the next 40 years in the desert, in the land of Midian in relative obscurity with sort of this out-of-the-way priest and his family just raising his child. And yet the Israelites the whole time are still facing this oppression. And in the background, God is noticing, and God has not forgotten him, and God has a plan, and guess who's going to be involved in his plan? Moses, the guy who killed the Egyptian, the guy who's been in the desert and obscurity for 40 years. And it says in chapter 3, meanwhile, I love in the Bible where it says meanwhile. Really, there's no meanwhile in the Bible. It's just, hey, by the way, this has been happening. God's always behind the meanwhile. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the greatest name in the Bible. The priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said, take off your sandals. For the place where you stand, where you're standing, is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God interrupts his life at this point. Moses, just wandering around, probably had a good life at this point, raising children, just enjoying his life, out of the desert as a shepherd, and he's, he's just kind of relaxing. But I wonder at some point, did he ever think and reflect on and have I wasted any of my life? As he looked over his previous 80 years, did he wonder, were, were the first 40 meaningful? How about these last 40 in the desert? Yeah, I've gotten married, I've begun a family to raise, and, and life is okay, but I just wonder, was there any point in time where he just wondered, what, is, what, 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 what could God do through me? Had, had he given up at this point? Was he coasting through life? But he still at all wants to see God do something and use him. He had any regrets. It's at that moment where he encounters God and, and he's got a choice to make. In verse 7 of chapter 3, 
It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their suffering. Now, if I'm Moses at this point, I'm thinking, what's that got to do with me? Hey, it's great. You know, I appreciate you talking to me today, Lord, but I'm 80 years old, man. I'm done. I'm, 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 my life is okay here. God, I, I, you know, leave me alone. I mean, I don't know what you would be thinking at that point, but I would be thinking, yeah, that's great. I'm glad you, you're taking notice of them, but what does that have to do with me? Verse 8, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then verse 10, Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. A little more than Moses bargained for on that day when he took a walk and saw a bush that didn't burn out. He gets this mission from God. You are the one who's going to go before Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people out of captivity. Remember, it's been 40 years since he's been there. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. He's probably changed a little bit. He's probably fairly comfortable at this point. And so it's not surprising the response that he has. Maybe his past came to his mind. Maybe the, the enormity of the mission came to his mind. Maybe he just thought, there's no way I can do that. And his first question in verse 11 is, who am I? Have you been there with God? Yeah, God, that's a great ministry to be involved with. Lord, those are people who really need you. Who am I? And I've got, got no skills to do that. I don't, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to talk to those people. Now, there's no way. I mean, do you understand what I've done? I mean, there's no way they're going to listen to me. Moses had the same question. God's response comes in verse 12. I will certainly be with you. God says, don't worry about who you are. Worry about who I am. I'll be with you. And he says, and this will be a sign that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship at this mountain. And then verse 13, here's this conversation going back and forth. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? The first question is, who am I? God says, don't worry about that. Worry about who I am. And he says, okay, who are you? <laughs> Verse 14, God, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. That's transliterated for us, Yahweh. That's his name. That is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He is the eternal God, the God of, of his fathers, the God of, of creation, the God of deliverance. And he says, that's who I am. That's my name. And he says, this is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. And he goes on to tell him, here's what you're going to do. I'll take care of the mission, he says. Just go. Just go on my behalf. And you would think that that would be enough for Moses. But he's human, just like us. And in chapter 4, he says this. What if they won't believe me and will not obey, but say the Lord did not appear to you? He's got another question. Who am I? Well, who are you? And wait a minute. When I go there, they're going to say, no, 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 no. You've been hallucinating out of the desert. The sun has not been good for you. You saw God. You saw right. He says, what am I supposed to say then? The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? The staff, he replied. And if you know the story, he says, Moses, throw it on the ground. He says, look, you don't have to worry about them believing you. I'm even going to take care of that. 
and he throws it on the ground and becomes a snake. And naturally, if you're human, if you're normal, you run from that sort of thing. Some of you are a little bit crazy, and you go for that. Moses, like me, scared to death of those things, and he, and he backs away, and God says, pick it up. By the tail. Oh, yeah, that's even better. And he does, and it becomes a staff again. Then he, he shows him some other signs that God would do to prove that it was actually God who sent him. Moses says, what if they don't believe me? God says, don't worry about it, I'll prove it. I'll make sure they believe you. Then in verse 10, he has another question. But Moses replied, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently since you've been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. Apparently, Moses either has a great fear of speaking in front of people, and or he just is not a very good speaker. He just doesn't get the words out. Maybe his mind races ahead a little bit, and he just can't quite get it right. Maybe there's a very legitimate reason why he's scared to go speak in front of people. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes a mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God covers that in his mouth. And after God has told Moses, Look, don't worry about who you are. You worry about who I am. And who I am is the eternal creator, God. And you don't worry about if they won't believe you because I'll show up on the scene and I'll prove it, who I am. And you don't worry about the words you're going to say or exactly how they're going to come out of your mouth because I'll put words in your mouth and I'll make your mouth work like it's never worked before. Moses says in verse 13, Please, Lord, send someone else. Imagine this conversation. You ever, you ever had that conversation with God? Man, that's a great opportunity, God. I'm going to pray that you raise somebody up to go take care of that. And God's like, well, you know, we were kind of talking about that here, weren't we? You know, uh, how about you? Moses says, hey, that's great, all that stuff you're going to do. And I know you're powerful, but please, Lord, you just, I mean, just imagine, please, we read it, please, Lord, send someone else. I mean, imagine him, not really, God, I would really rather you go to someone else. Move on, take the burning, burning bush down the street. I know a great guy who will respond. Let me put you in contact with him. Here's his number and email address. I, you know. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. A little frustrated at this point, I imagine. And he said, isn't Aaron, the Levite, your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, he's on his way right now to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what, tell him what to say. I will help you both. I will help you and him speak better and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand, and you will form the signs with. God says, you know what, Moses? You're not getting out of this one. You can try, and man, you can bargain and argue with me all you want, but guess what? You're going to be on mission for me, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because I meet your excuses one after another with a trump card. Who am I? He says, don't worry about it. You worry about who I am. Well, who are you? I'm the eternal God. Who's going to mess with that? What if they don't believe me? I'll prove it to them. God, I can't speak. I'll put words in your mouth. God, send someone else. Guess what? Hey, I am. He's going with you. How about that? It's an incredible story if you read it that way. God says, all right, I've had enough of your excuses. Don't worry about it. This is the mission I've got for you. I've got it all covered. Now just go. 
Moses, through all this, certainly learned that the mission itself came from God. It was not something he could put into motion himself. Remember, he already tried that by killing the Egyptian. He was going to deliver his people that way. God says, no, 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 no. Let me take care of this. Do it my way. So Moses learns the mission comes from God. He learns that it's much bigger than him. He's going to go to Pharaoh, who, who probably has heard of him, heard of Moses, and the reason that he ran away. Pharaoh's going to be out to get him. He's going to take the Israelite nation out of Egypt. He's going to perform signs and wonders. He's going to take this great risk for the Lord. It's going to be huge. He learns also it's really not about him. It's about what God wants to do for the Israelite people. So it's bigger than him. It's really not about him in any way. And then he realizes this, this mission is, is for people that God has compassion on. The Israelites cry, gone up to heaven. They're pain, they're distressed. They need for deliverance. It's going to be answered by God. Moses learns a lot about that. This mission that God gave Moses didn't really end with him, though. And the story goes, and he stands before Pharaoh, of course, and performs these signs and wonders, and, and yet Pharaoh still doesn't let the Israelites leave. And so God sends the plagues, the ten plagues, and finally Pharaoh says, get out. And they race toward the Red Sea, and Charlton Heston stands there, and parts the Red Sea, you know, and they all cross, the Bible says, on dry land, and eventually they take the promised land. And we could look at that in the Old Testament and say, oh, hey, great, that mission's over. Mission accomplished. Way to go, Moses. But you realize that it's just a preview? It really is just a preview of God's mission for humanity that was fulfilled and completed in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, the words he said were, It is finished. That's when the mission was really accomplished. That's when it was really over. This is a preview. The Exodus in the Old Testament is a preview of the deliverance that Jesus provided for all of us on the cross. He passed that mission then along to his apostles. And then, of course, we know toward his ascension right before he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28, he passes that commission on to all of us to go and make disciples and to teach and to baptize and to lead people to Jesus Christ. And so I really believe that it's very easy for us to take the principles we see in the story of the Exodus and apply them very simply to our lives today. As we head toward a close this morning, I want to give you those principles very quickly and very simply. We've hit on them already, and I just want to make it personal this morning. You'll see on the back of your bulletin, and some of you are thinking, man, is this still the introduction? I know what you're saying. I used to sit out there, too. I understand, all right? It's okay. Checking it. Yeah, we still got time. All right. Back of your bulletin, you'll see these principles. What I want you to write down, and I want you to remember, and I want it to resonate with you, and this is why I dare you to pay attention today. The overarching theme of this that we take that the transferable principle from the life of Moses to the ministry of Jesus on the cross to the, to the apostles and, and on down to us is simply this, that I am on a mission from God. I'm on a mission from God. Just like the Blues Brothers, I suppose, you're on a mission from God. He's called me to participate in His plan of redemption for the world. That's why you exist. You understand you don't exist just to take up space and breathe air and live and die and be buried. That's not why you're here. 
how many of us go through life thinking that's just what life is about? I just exist. You know and I know there's something much more that God has for us. There's something inside that says that's not it. Life was meant to be lived on mission for God everywhere I go. In everything I do with whomever I'm around, I'm on a mission from God. That's why He saved me. That's why He has redeemed me. That's why He has set me on a new course. It's not so I can just enjoy it and live out my days until I get to eternity with Him. So that will be great. What am I going to do while I'm standing? The answer from the Bible is I'm going to be on mission from God. So at home, at school, at practice, at work, at the ball game, wherever you go, everything you do, whenever you're around, I'm on a mission from God. If you remember that and you live by that principle, it will radically change your life. And it will radically change your ministry and it will change this church and it will change our impact on this community. And our community will change, and our state will change, and our nation will change, and our world will change when Christians begin to live by that principle. I guarantee you. Much of the reason, not all, maybe not even most, I don't know, but much of the reason why our world, our community even, is not made more different for Jesus Christ is because we have forgotten that principle. And I'm on a mission from God, too. That's why I'm here. Yes, I'm going to enjoy my life. God gave it for enjoyment. Certainly, I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm not talking about all that. But the core of why I exist is to be on mission for God. That's the first and overarching principle. And you look at what goes underneath that. What does that mission mean? What's it about? Well, you'll see the next one there on your outline. It, it's bigger than me. And thank God it is. Thank God I'm going to need some people with me to accomplish the mission that God has given me. You're going to need people with you. Where you work, where you live, where you go to school, wherever it may be, in our church, in our community, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's going to require all of us. We need other people to join us in that. It's going to stretch us a little bit. Moses certainly didn't want to go stand before Pharaoh. Hold on, God. I'm good here ministering to the sheep. <laughs> I'll just stare into the well a little more and talk to the water. I don't know what he was doing, but this was going to stretch him. This was going to take him beyond his comfort level quite a bit. You're going to live on mission for God. It will stretch you. It will take you to places that aren't glamorous and probably aren't even safe sometimes for you to be. I'll tell you what, it'll be right where God wants you to be. The mission comes from God himself, so it's bigger than me. You're going to, you're going to have to understand that. And then also, it's not about me. Mission from God that I'm on is not about me at all. It's not about me and my preferences and, and what I like and what I want. So it requires flexibility on my part. It requires that I have a servant's heart. It requires that I have a willing heart to, to do whatever it takes for the Lord. It's, it's not self-assumed. I don't just appoint myself to something, but God ordains it and He appoints me to it. It's not always going to be glamorous. It's not always going to be easy. It might even be mundane and it might even go unnoticed. And I praise God for those who don't need credit for what they do. I praise God for those kinds of people. We, we've got many people in our church just like that. You just do what you do, and you serve, and you, you lead, you do whatever you do, and you don't care if it's ever noticed. You realize that's part of the mission from God. Maybe mundane, it may be unnoticed. Some people are going to be confused by your mission from God. Some people are going to disagree that that's the route God wants you to go. Is that really the will of God for your life, that you serve Him in that way? 
sometimes that's going to be the way it is. You won't have all the details all the time. Certainly Moses didn't. He had some. But he didn't know that when he threw his staff down in the midst of Pharaoh's court, guess what all his people were going to do? Throw them down. Hey, we've all got snakes. What a curveball from God. Wait a minute. Moses had to be flexible. God, what next? I'm ready. <laughs> you know, they did it too, God. What's going on? Well, it's not about me. It's not about me showing off my, my gifts and skills. It's about what God wanted to do. It's not about me. It's truthfully all about the gospel of Jesus. The words of Jesus in the Great Commission made that clear. He said, go, or basically the wording there is, as you go, it just kind of implied, make disciples by doing two things. By baptizing them, that's evangelizing them, leading them to Jesus, and by teaching them, discipling them. And, and make sure it's all about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not about me, it's about Jesus and His mission. And then it's also, it's to those who are on God's part. You understand that the mission is not just to our friends, the people we're comfortable around, the folks that we just by nature get along with and seem to have something in common with. The Lord may put those people in your path, but for Moses, it was to a nation that had been in slavery for a long time. People that had been beaten down, folks in need of deliverance from God, people who couldn't or, or wouldn't pay him back. You realize they spent the next 40 years in the desert because they were ungrateful for what God had done through Moses. You get that? Moses went to these people, ministered to them, led them out of slavery, and hated them for it. The mission that God puts you on may put you in a position just like that. So don't expect everybody to just bow your feet. Thank you so much for the ministry that you've given to me. Most of the time, people aren't even going to care. But it doesn't change the mission. This mission to those kinds of people is connected to the mission that's prominent throughout Scripture. But Jesus himself said he came to, to minister to those who are who are lost, to seek and save the lost. We talked about ministry to the poor, those who can't pay us back monetarily for what we give them, those who are down and out, have no hope in life, that's who's on God's heart. And the truth is that if our hearts don't beat for people like that, it's because there's something wrong with our hearts. Not something wrong with them, but a mission of God, or God somehow messed up. If our hearts don't beat for those kinds of people, the, the people that God is compassionate for, the people that God loves that are far from Him that desperately need His deliverance, there's not something wrong with me. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with me. And I have to look myself in the mirror from time to time and say, God, if I don't care about that kind of person, what's wrong with me? You've got to break my heart. Trust me, I come to that point quite often. mentioned to you earlier some of the, the different ministries that our church is a part of, and certainly so all the kids come down, talking about the bus ministry and different things. You, you realize that if that's why we do those things, because those are the people who are on God's heart. We don't, we don't have people who love our children just because children need to be loved. Certainly that's fine. We don't have people who are going to volunteer for this bus ministry just because they feel obligated. Well, I guess somebody needs to do it. We don't have events every so often to help children and families in need just because there are children and families in need. We do it because that's at the very core and the very heart of the mission that God has given us to reach out to people who are far from God, who are in desperate situations who really, really need Him. That's why we rally around 
summer missions and other folks in our church who are out doing those kinds of things. So we try our best to get involved in local schools if we can, be involved in our community. It's not so important because that's the mission field. That's where God is sending us. So what do you do now? I would encourage you and challenge you even in this moment to consider who is it that's on God's heart that is also close to you. Maybe somebody in your family. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe somebody in a class that you're taking. Maybe a friend. Maybe somebody you come into regular contact with. Who is it that's on God's heart? It's also close to you. Let me tell you this. You don't have to look very far to find your mission from that. You don't have to look very far to find who it is that God would like you to be on mission to. And the other question would be, who is on God's heart that maybe you need to go out of your way to reach? I wouldn't just look who's close to you, though maybe you're struggling. Realize in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses both here and around here and way out there. They're going to have to go out of their way to do it. That's part of the mission. Who's God called you to reach and to go after in His mission? It applies wherever you go for as long as you live with whomever you're around. And it's an exciting and wonderful way to live. The times when I've been brought the most joy in my Christian life have not been the times of just simple meditation and, and prayer. In the times where I've seen God do through me stuff that I would not normally do on my own. You understand what I'm talking about? We've all been there. I wish and hope for more times like that. Certainly all of this applies to us as individuals, and I really believe honestly and truthfully is the tool in God's hands for reaching the world that also applies to us as a church. That we are on a mission from God. That it's bigger than us. And it's not about us. And it's going to be to those people who are on God's heart. I heard a pastor say this week, and he really believes that if Christians would really, maybe again, fall in love with Jesus Christ and be about his mission, he said, we never worry about filling our churches. We never worry about the state of our community. He said, it take care of itself. Pastor was not my age. The pastor was about seventy years old. So it matters not what age you are. It's simply that you love Jesus and you're willing to live on mission for Him. As I mentioned before, all of that is summed up in the mission in Jesus toward us. We needed deliverance. We needed hope. We needed forgiveness. We were desperate, and we could not do it on our own. And praise God, He came and He went to the cross and provided deliverance. A free gift of grace, of salvation for all who would believe. That's the mission God had for us and the mission that He passed on to us. Maybe you're a person this morning that needs to come to grips with that mission. Needs to come to grips with the fact that apart from God, I'm a dead sinner. Well, with Jesus Christ, I am alive. The Bible says, been made alive through His death and resurrection. Maybe you today begin to live on mission for Him by placing your faith in Him, giving Him your life and receiving His free gift of salvation. Believing Him. Maybe when somebody asks you, why do you live the way you do? Why do you, why do you always talk about what the Lord is doing in your life? Why do you reach out to those kinds of people? Why do you love and serve people just because they exist? 
Maybe you put on your sunglasses and you just say, you know what? I'm on mission for that. Maybe that would be your response in the way that you live. And when people look at your life and they look at Elm Grove Baptist Church, they don't have to look far to see that you and we, we're just on a mission from God. To see how many people we can impact for eternity before God takes us in. Why don't you pray? we pray that you would challenge us to drill your truth down into our hearts today. For we want to be people whose lives matter. We want to be a church that matters. So God, burn in us the principle that we are on mission in God. Lord, even though it's bigger than us and not about us, Lord, we, we submit to that. We give you our individual lives. We give you the life of this church. And we say, God, use us however you see fit. We make us a place and a people whose sole purpose, at the core of why we exist, is to see your name and your glory be spread to those who desperately need it. We thank you for the mission that you have toward us in Jesus Christ. That you did not leave us in our slavery to sin, but you provided a way, a way of grace, a free gift of salvation. We thank you so much for that. So Lord, challenge us and encourage us as we go to live on mission for you. We pray in Jesus' name.